Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash nuclear revenge video. As long as you guys hit those like and subscribe buttons down below, I promise not to go nuclear myself. That said, our first story of the day is by Dragon Pora. Do not mess with my family. I will destroy you. Okay, so this goes way back and still leaves me fuming. Background, I'll call myself Daisy. Qualified as mechanical engineer in the mid-1980s, working in textiles in a little African country. Players, Ed the consultant with Card Blanche. Ed was there to assess performance, but also to investigate why a profitable company takes a nosedive within 18 months. The villains are Bob, Knob, and Bon. Stories long, take a break and get yourself a coffee, tea, shake, cocktail, whatever rocks your boat. I was part of a management team employed on behalf of an NGO, non-government organization, company funded by the Commonwealth and IMF, International Monetary Fund, to help set up a viable labor-intensive industry for this country in the mid-1990s. To start with, this was a dream job. Free luxury accommodation in a secured village that had tennis courts, a swimming pool, guest lodge. My contract included free electric, water, and a telephone landline. There was no broadband at that time. You used your landline to dial up. No mobiles at this time. Free private schooling for my three children. A monthly allowance. Note, not salary. Great pension and full gold medical private medical insurance. The catch was that my husband was not allowed to work permanently. He could consult for companies but not be employed. This was part of the legal requirement for me to get work and residential permit. I was the total breadwinner. I was respected by the management team and my employees. I love the people of this nation, the culture, the warmth, and the willingness to learn. The majority of the employees were illiterate when they started employment. I helped set up schools to improve their verbal and written skills, not only in English but also in the local official language. I woke each day ready to tackle the challenge, see the staff develop, especially the women learning and gaining independence, and see the company flourish, become profitable. The rewards were amazing. Because the company became very profitable, it needed to be sold as a going venture to investors in the country. This was part of the agreement with the CDC, Commonwealth Development Corporation, and IMF, International Monetary Fund, who up to that point were our bosses. The sale included a clause that assured the continued employment of the local employees for 18 months after the sale. The order books were full, the bank balance very healthy on the day the new owners came in. The new owners have their headquarters in Southeast Asia. New CEO Knob and CFO Bond come in. Trouble begins. Their first order of the day was to remove the majority of the previous management and bring their team in. I was told in no uncertain terms that as a female, I should be home breeding and not working. My time was up. Oomph. The company starts losing money within nine months. This new team started blaming the local employees as the reason for the losses. Head office sends over a consultant slash independent observer, we'll call him Ed, to feedback proposals, solutions, and what was the root cause. Ed was empowered to act on the behalf of the group's CEO in Southeast Asia. This is important for later. 
I had to have medical leave for 8 weeks. Whilst on medical leave, the CEO makes a decision to cut off free private education and no more free utilities or food allowance without adjusting my allowance. So I went from being well rewarded for the job to having to manage with a salary that was only 100 US dollars and pay for private school and all other household costs that were previously incorporated into the contract. Yes, the company can do this. Basically, a new contract was underwritten as part of the new ownership. As a true expat employee, the company owns you totally. They own the permits that allow you to work and live in the country. I made a formal complaint, but was told if I didn't like it, the company would inform the country government that I had been fired due to not being qualified. This would mean 48 hours to leave the country with no support, no possibility of getting any of our personal belongings shipped, frozen bank account as the local government would see this as fraud, possible police record, my family would lose everything and become destitute. On my return to work, I was demoted and they placed their own man to run my previous department, engineering and maintenance. I go to introduce myself to my new manager, let's name him Bob. Bob refuses to shake hands and states that he's there to make my life heck and remove me from the company. I saw red. No one threatens my family's well-being and gets away with it. This was how I ensured the whole management lost everything. Start investigation on what's going on. In the first 12 months that this new management team's taken over, the company's now losing money and in serious debt. New equipment that had been installed by the NGO has to be sold to help pay salaries. The pension fund was found to be underfunded, was let go, management blamed the NGO for having taken money out when they sold the company. The new management team has somehow brought over extended families. Older children were all being educated in top universities either in South Africa or even the UK. Younger children in top private schools. There was also extended house staff including drivers. All of this coming out as losses in the company books. To top it up, I discovered that my new manager's university doctorate degree was fake. This management team treat the local staff as subhuman. I had had enough of this BS. Time to sort these jerks out. Stage 1. Prove current boss is not qualified in what he says he is. Talked to Ed about my suspicions, showed him the transcript from telephone conversations with the university that he had claimed as having a PhD from. We set a trap. There was a set of machines that were seriously underperforming. Ed and I work out a plan. I walk into lead meeting late. I was to be quiet until Ed asked me to contribute. We wanted to give Bob enough rope. In the meeting, I sit quietly whilst Bob blames the local operators, the local maintenance fitters, and everyone else for all the woes that are happening, including why we can't meet the order book demands. Ed sweetly asks if there's a possibility of a mechanical issue. Bob denies it. Ed then asks for my opinion. I explain that Bob's been changing suppliers of critical components to cheaper versions, but that still costs the same on the official books. I had evidence that demonstrates that Bob was receiving a significant percentage of the difference on the side, whilst the company charged the inflated prices. I also stated that I could fix the problem using the correct components. If I was wrong, then by all means, fire me. Ed sets a challenge to me and Bob. Each one of us has a team of fitters and our chosen components. Bob storms to the shop floor and does his usual screaming at everyone. I go down and explain what I was trying to achieve and how it would benefit the operators and get the project going. At the end of the week, we both had a report back to the management team. 
and it asked a few operators, mechanics, and production supervisors how Bob worked, and if there was any attempt to sabotage my project. Needless to say, Bob did try everything to ensure my team was not successful, but he never had the support of the locals, and his team, they already hated him. Eddie gives Bob a chance to come clean, but Bob still stated I was a liar and knew nothing. Ed stands up, goes to the door, opens it, and outside is Bob's family. Ed's investigation had confirmed what I had stated. As such, Ed had organized drivers and contacts to fly to South Africa to pick up all of Bob's children from schools and universities, and for those in the UK, the university was informed no company funds would be forthcoming for the one child that was being educated. Ed proceeded to give each of Bob's family plane tickets for the following morning. Company security guards and police were sent with Bob to his bank, where funds were frozen due to fraudulent transactions. Bob accepted a plea bargain, he will not be welcome in Africa ever, and his home country police were informed. When Bob landed in his home country, the head office had organized a police escort. Bob was unemployable and his family greatly shamed. I hope he got his just desserts, couldn't care less. Stage 1 complete. Stage 2, the final event. Prove Nob and Bon had been defrauding the company and country. Nob and Bon were still in charge of the company, now 18 months from takeover. The stated clause that the workforce could not be touched was up. Nob and Bon called an all-side meeting. They stood up front with tears running down on how the NGO had lied about the company orders and profitability, how they're trying their best but the company's really struggling and people will lose their jobs. They announced a reduction of 66% of the workforce. I had been working closely with Nob and Bond's secretary, the accountant, and the purchasing officer, so I had been able to access the info needed. Survival kicked in. As I was part of the original management team, I had the original accounts that were audited as part of the CDC and IMF funding for the NGO. In the 18 months, I had accumulated information on the losses being shown and the missing money going offshore into private accounts and not the head office accounts. You see, these two did not respect women or the locals. They assumed that what was being done would not be picked up. If they had bothered to understand who they employed in the office, they would have found that the purchase officer and the accounting supervisor were qualified accountants with close links to the government, the banks, and they were, you're right, women. I had explained to the secretary, the accountant, and purchasing officer that there would be a time when we needed evidence to safeguard money and people's livelihoods. So the files had been building from their six months to now a year later. I talked to Ed and give him the evidence we'd been accumulating. It was what Ed needed. Nob calls me to the office to tell me that I'm redundant with immediate effect. He also stated that for me to be able to stay in the country to sort out my family, I would now owe the company rent that was twice my given allowance. I lost it. I literally turned around and explained that in less than 24 hours, Nob would have no future, his family would have no future, no matter where they run, they would be found. I already knew this to be true, as Ed already had the wheels in motion. This time, the group chairman walks in on my heated conversation, together with the IMF representative and Bon in tow. Nob was fired on the spot, loaded onto a plane with an international warrant for fraud. The IMF pursued this fully. Nob was screwed. In this Southeast Asian country, a stand on your trustworthiness means you are untouchable. 
Bond didn't fare much better. He was locally arrested, denied access, fined, and the IMF did the same to him as what happened to Knob. Only difference was that Bond willingly ratted Knob for all he was worth. As for me, the company lived along, but I no longer trusted anyone from that group. Myself and my husband found employment in another regional country. This time, both of us had work permits and airtight contracts. No one will ever screw us over or make us feel like slaves. The message was, do not threaten my children or my family. I will destroy you by waiting until you hang. Not proud, just realistic. You gotta give a lot of respect to OP. When their family and their livelihood are on the line, they dug deep and did whatever they could to make sure they dug up whatever evidence they needed to prove this fraud and save their butts. If you could see the writing on the wall and knew that somebody had a game plan down the road to basically bankrupt you and leave you in a terrible situation, would you be doing what you could to document and dig up whatever you could find? Or would you rather just try to cut your losses and get out of there as soon as possible? Let me know what you would do in the comments down below. And our final story of the day is by I signed up cause of r slash man gets his car crushed by not paying his repair bill. Not my story, but my father's took place in the early 2000s. He's a master mechanic who can literally work on any car, foreign or domestic. He's teaching me right now and it's an honor to learn from him. He's always run his own independent repair shop almost as long as I can remember. And he told me this story recently that just seems perfect for the sub. So this guy comes in with a pretty nice Chrysler convertible to get his transmission fixed. He had to remove the transmission, disassemble, and rebuild it. Pretty long process, but it's no problem. After a day's work, he calls the customer up, says his car is ready, and reminds him of the agreed upon price of about $1,200. The guy said he could only pay $600 then, and he'd have to get back to him on the rest. Now this isn't out of the ordinary. Where we live, most people aren't exactly wealthy, and my dad's a nice guy. He single-handedly supported four kids and a wife, so we weren't exactly rich. It's not uncommon for people to pay in installments. He doesn't charge interest or fees or anything, just tries to do what's right. The guy pays half his bill, and with the promise of paying the remaining amount in a few weeks, he leaves with his car. About two months pass, however, and the guy hasn't paid. Hadn't even contacted my dad about any issues or to say something like he lost his job or something. So my dad calls him up and asks when he thinks he'll be able to pay the rest of his bill. And I kid you not, this is how the convo went. Dad said, hey, this is placeholder name. I was wondering when you'll be able to pay the rest of your bill. The guy says, oh yeah, about that. I'm not paying it. Dad surprised says, what? Is something wrong with the car? If something went wrong, I'll take care of it. The guy says, no, no, the car runs great. I'm just not going to pay you. Dad says, what? Why? The guy says, well, I have the car now, so I don't see any reason to pay you. They went back and forth a bit before my dad realized it was pointless and decided to enact some sweet, sweet revenge. He calls up a local towing company and gives them the guy's address, license plate, and car description and tells them to tow the vehicle to the county recycling center. He then calls up the recycling center and says, Hey, you're going to be getting a Chrysler convertible license plate so-and-so from so-and-so towing. When it gets there, I want you guys to crush and recycle it. And so they do. The car was crushed and recycled. The next day, the guy shows up to my dad's business furious and with the state patrol. 
My dad explains the entire story, and the cops tell the guy that technically, the vehicle was moved, not stolen, the recycling center received recyclable goods and not stolen property, and now the car no longer exists, as it's been recycled, and thus was not a criminal manner, but a civil one. So the guy sues my dad, and once again, my dad explains the entire story. And amazingly, the judge says the same thing as the troopers and dismissed it. It sounds almost unbelievable because it just seems so illegal, but if a judge rules in his favor, it's gotta have some merit by a technicality or something. Granted, this was maybe 15 years ago, so the laws could have changed since. But god dang, the guy gets his car crushed simply because he chose not to pay the remaining repair bill and wanted to take advantage of someone's kindness. I mean, I agree with what OP's saying, it doesn't sound very legal at all and I'm very, very surprised that their dad got away with that. I definitely feel like that was maybe a super one-off situation. To me, I would think 99% of the time somebody does that, they're going to be on the line for having destroyed property that's worth more than the $600 owed. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of both of these stories, which one was your personal favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.